Blog Talk Radio. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, July the 3rd. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Lots to get into, a lot of Supreme Court talk today. Let me say hello to um, our friend Bill. How are you, Bill? Give me the latest from New York. Well, the latest from New York, <laughs> Silvio, is is, uh, is that we are watching. I am watching uh, to the left of where I am my Midland emergency radio flashing because we have a severe weather uh, watch and we get those periodically. They do very, they're very, very important for uh, the energizer bunny who is running by giving discounts on batteries for the impending storm. <laughs> now we had this yes. last night as well. And we got one drop. We got one drop. We're seeing if we can get it up to two or three drops tonight. We got to so get the, really, you know, we got to sell some batteries at those bodegas. They need the money. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I, I they, we've gotten so many false alarms though. Next time I buy batteries, I'm going to do it on condition that I can return them if there's no storm, because these are the same people who tell me they can, they can tell them more than 50 years from now. So we right, will, exactly. we'll see. We'll see. If right. I'm they can tell you what the weather is going to be like in 10 years, but. Uh, Sometimes they mess up a storm uh, this afternoon. I know, I know exactly what you're saying. We get that, yes. a little bit of that here too. But for some reason here, the storms are a lot faster. They, they, they yes. within ten minutes you have a storm. It can be pretty scary. Well, here uh, they they're a little slower, but we we've gotten this uh, overall warning that uh, for just about every day this week we're going to have thunder, severe thunderstorms at night. Now, I don't know how they arrange that, but they, that's what the, they've predicted. But so far, we, we, I mean, I have a new umbrella. I'd really like to try it out. I really would. But I haven't had the opportunity. <laughs> it just gets wrapped up. And, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get a couple of drops by the end of the show. Well, <laughs> um, one thing I can tell you about umbrellas that I keep losing them or I keep leaving them in places I go. And I take an umbrella, and then the next day I'm looking for my umbrella, and I remember that I left it wherever I go. I have this bad habit of leaving uh, umbrellas everywhere I go because we don't need them that much. We don't use them that much, so it's easy to to forget them. Well, Bill, today I wanted, before we get to uh, some of the news, I wanted to, to get your reaction to, of course, July 4th is tomorrow. And every year, that's obviously a wonderful day to celebrate. But it seems like here in the last couple of years, and I know I mentioned it uh, a year ago, I brought up the same point. And that is that it seems like the attacks on the declaration, on the country, uh, are getting worse. 
I mean, you had this basketball player, this lady basketball player, yes, attack uh, the country saying it's trash because of these Supreme Court opinions. Thankfully, there was another fellow who plays for the NBA who reacted to her, which I'm glad to see. I, but I saw that. But it seems yeah. like, yeah, you saw that. But it seems like, Bill, the, the attacks, the meanness of the attacks, they're just getting worse. And I'm not saying it's more people. And nor nor am I saying that it's a uh, that this is a uh, a uh, you know something that is shared by everybody. But it just seems like the ones who attack the country are pretty mean, and they sure get a lot of publicity. Bill, they get a tremendous amount of publicity in part because they learn these things in colleges and universities, and the colleges and universities provide a lot of the publicity. Uh, there are people in this country today who don't even believe the country was founded in 1776. They think it was founded in 1619 because some little lady at the New York Times uh, wrote uh, a, a book or an article about it, and they call it the 1619 Project. And they, they believe that all the stuff we've been taught about American history is untrue. It, you're absolutely right. The attacks are getting worse and worse, and the reverence for these documents and for the people who wrote them uh, – are also, are, 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 it's, it's fading and it's a terrible thing because you quoted the basketball player, this woman basketball player who said America is trash, and the person who answered her, uh, who said, no, it's, it's a wonderful country, and, I, and he's an immigrant from Turkey, uh, and I'll take you to some of the other countries and maybe you can, maybe you can like them better. But people do not appreciate what they have here. That doesn't mean it's a perfect country. There are no perfect countries. But they do not understand the meaning of the words of the Declaration of Independence or the words of the Constitution. And therefore, they do not appreciate the benefits that America has bestowed on people and why so many people want to come here to live. Right. Uh, That's right. Very, no, you're very, right. It's very sad, very sad state of affairs. I don't see it getting better in the near future, but maybe – Maybe a new generation will come along and change things. You know, sometimes we think the new generations are going to be right. worse, but sometimes sometimes they surprise us because they are taught what a horrible country it is. Then they go out in the world and they say, wait a minute, that's not true. And right. maybe we're beginning to see a little bit of that backlash now. But the the, the greatness of America lies in its ideals and and the fact that these ideals have captivated the world and that people come here again they're not going to find the streets paved with gold but they are going to find the fact that if the streets aren't paved with gold you can complain about it and not get arrested right well i just thought it was interesting because this weekend uh we went to uh we were out of town this weekend and we went to our, our our granddaughter Sophia, her first birthday, and we were uh, out of town, and I was listening to the radio in the morning, uh, you know, in the bathroom listening to the radio. I always travel with a little radio to to get the news wherever I'm at. And and there was a very interesting, there were two stations that I found. One station was a uh, actually a Christian station, and they were talking about the greatness of the, of the, the Declaration of Independence and the sacrifice that the men uh made uh in that uh in that declaration you know they were going through the names of some of the people who were eventually put in jail or executed or whatever even their wives in some yes. cases uh put in prison and so that was a beautiful 
um, you know, a beautiful uh, expression, if you will, of the document, something that I thought was great. And then I put our friends at NPR, the station right next to it, and I'm listening for the news. And, and uh, you know, I'm hearing about how, yeah, the country was founded in 7076, but it was built on the back of slaves who came here. I'm just sitting there saying, I mean, what a contrast, you know. And and then yes. I'm hearing over at NPR that uh, well you know not everybody was was uh, had liberty in 1776 well that's true uh, I mean that the, you shouldn't measure the Declaration by the fact that you know everybody had liberty or that you didn't you know obviously women were not covered by the Declaration but neither was in any other country that I know of and yes there was slavery yes there was. And all of that, but it just seems like you said the ideals of the document is what made possible the Civil Rights Act later, the the 19th Amendment later. I mean, the document had the ability, well, not necessarily the Declaration, but the Constitution had the ability later to be amended and bring in those people who didn't make the first cut, if I could put it that way, Bill. Right. That's a very good way of putting it. The fact is it was – if you look at the preamble to the Constitution, it calls on the nation to establish a more perfect union. It doesn't say it's perfect. It says we are going to establish a more perfect union, and that is one of the purposes of this document, the Constitution. If people would read the Constitution, they'd realize what a brilliant document it is because it is so obviously sensitive to the way real people do real things in real life. And it has served us well over all these years. Now, there are people who say, well, it's just written by dead white men. Well, I don't care what their race was. I don't care what their gender was. All I care was was and is is about the quality of their work. And I think it was a remarkable document and which sets up a series of checks and balances. Um, we... We fought a civil war, and it was fought over slavery. And for those people who don't believe it was fought over slavery, they should read Second uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln's Second Inaugural, which was given just weeks before his assassination in, in 1865. And he talks about slavery, and he talks about it very movingly. And of course it was fought over slavery, and 600,000 Americans died. Again, not perfect, not a perfect union. Um, uh, if I were black in America, I would certainly be sensitive to the fact that my ancestors did not live as freely as African Americans live today. It's still not perfect. Um, as far as women are concerned, uh, of course there have been uh, glass ceilings. There have been areas where women have been kept out. But I would also point out that there have also been privileges accorded to women in, in the, the, their treatment within the society. Again, problems exist. Problems can be solved, but the basic freedoms of the country cannot be denied. Right, and and that's the whole point. And 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 when when you look at these ideals that all men are created equal, okay, uh, they didn't say all men and women were created equal, but I think we all know what we meant. They were talking about everybody, and I just feel that um, I, I think most Americans recognize the beauty of the country and the greatness of the country and you could see that this you know this week you see all these american flags everywhere and so i think most people are are tuned in to the reality of the country bill but you have these unfortunately these people who are really invested in this hatred of the country 
And and that's what it is, I think, hatred of the country, because it's not really rational criticism. I mean, you you no. could say, well, you know, the Constitution did not include – you could say that the Constitution, for example, uh, said that blacks were three-quarters of a vote or whatever – whatever it was, or that they were not. You can say all of that, and you're exactly right. But but that doesn't mean it, that the whole project was bad. It just meant that, it, to me, it just means that at that point, there were some, some shortcomings that existed in other countries as well, and that they, they've been corrected. That's the beauty of it. You know, we That's came right. to the United States in July of 1964, and that was exactly the, that was exactly the week that President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Yes. I mean, what an amazing, all, amazing thing that, you know, that all of that was put away with the Civil Rights Act bill. That's absolutely correct. And also they, they will make the claim that, well, uh, the country was set up uh, for white people. Well, to a degree that's true, but they, when white people came to this country as immigrants in the late 1800s and early 1900s, as my ancestors did, they weren't exactly welcomed with open arms and treated warmly there were terrible abuses there were a terrible uh, 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 acts of discrimination you had sweatshops uh, in uh, new york you had um, uh, very bad labor conditions on the railroads where asian americans were forced to work nobody denies these things but over time they were fixed and that is the the glory of the country uh, admitting past mistakes but correcting them and recognizing that America is a continuing revolution. And it is right. a revolution where it is certainly true that today that anybody born in America can conceivably grow up to become president. And uh, while that is not a standard, uh, an actual standard, the fact is we have improved the country considerably, and that improvement has been based on the ideals set down in 1776 and in 1779 by the Constitution and by the Bill of Rights, and those principles are remarkable and unique in the world. That's right. No, you're right, and, and that's what I think we celebrate. We don't say that everything was perfect at the formation of the country because looking back at it, there were some shortcomings. But, yes. But, but definitely... It was the, the foundation of something wonderful. And again, as I said a minute ago, we landed in the United States on the day, or not the United States, but we left Cuba the week that the that Civil Rights Act was passed by, or signed by President Johnson. I remember seeing the pictures the other day on the anniversary of July the 2nd. And I said to myself, what an amazing thing. I mean, here's this country 100 years later recognizing the mistakes and legislating all of this so that those mistakes don't happen again. I think that's, that's right. a remarkable story. And if people would focus on that, and I think most people do, then we would be, you wouldn't have all these angry and frustrated people who seem like they just want to tear apart the country because it wasn't perfect. Uh, anyway, that's my little rant uh, for today, Bill. But I get very angry with these people who take cheap shots at the United States. You can criticize this or this or that, fine. We can have a rational discussion. But when they say things like the country's a piece of trash, that that is over the top and should not be tolerated, Bill. Well, I agree. And also I would say to those people, uh, especially privileged people like this basketball star, uh, if the country is a piece of trash, who would really want to live 
in a country that's a piece of trash, and you're invited to leave. You can go anywhere you want, and you're even invited to come back if you wish. Uh, you have that freedom as well. Uh, I don't see too many people leaving. I really don't. Uh, many of these uh, uh, people, including movie stars, if the, if the right people doesn't get uh, uh, people don't get elected, they threaten to leave. I will leave the country if Donald Trump is elected. Well, I don't know of any of these stars who did. <laughs> right. they, they they make the, they make the claim, but they never actually do it. But you're invited right. to leave. That, that I, I don't believe in in the phrase "love it or leave it." But I do say if it's that bad and so unimprovable then you certainly do have the right to seek uh, housing elsewhere. And, right. and, uh, and you know, go ahead. Uh, but I, I am just amazed that at the, the lack of knowledge of so many people educated in American schools, the lack of knowledge about the United States, about its principles, about its laws, and about its foundation. And, and these people never ask the question, why do more people want to come to the United States than, any, than all of the countries combined. They just won't ask the question. Right. And they never get those questions. You're right. They never get those questions. Uh, you know, the, the, it's always the same, you know, the same garbage about, well, slavery. Well, if, if they would actually explore slavery, they, they would find out that, that it was more than, than the southern colonies that had slaves. I mean, it was a, a unfortunately – it's a blemish on history that goes back way before people came to, to North America, and, and they never want to put it in those terms. But I wanted to say one thing, Bill, before we move on, because uh, I want to talk about the Supreme Court and Iran and France. But what's interesting to me, you said something that caught my attention there, because back in 2004, do you remember how many people back in 2004 – said that they were going to leave the country if George W. Bush was reelected. Remember that? Oh, yes. Many, many. I mean, many, 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 many. many. And I would make a bet, and I don't bet anything more than a cup of coffee, Bill. I'll bet you a cup of coffee that most of them didn't. That somehow they stayed back here because I think it was all a big propaganda thing they were doing. They, they never really were serious about it. They were just saying that because that makes you popular in certain circles to take oh, a yes. shot at George W. Bush, I guess. Yes, and they said the same thing, of course, about Trump. If Trump is elected, I will leave the United States. But I don't know of any prominent person who took that pledge who actually went through with it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, they believe... These are people who believe they are the center of the universe. And if I say this, maybe all of my fans and my admirers will understand how serious this situation is. Of anybody who pledges to leave the country if Donald Trump is elected is a person who is not willing to fight for the country, not willing to improve it. Uh, I prefer the people who stay and make it a better country. Right. Absolutely. No, you're, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, we can all disagree about uh, you know elections and where the country's going or who should be the nominee, but not uh, not these cheap shots on on the country. That's what makes me angry. Well, let's talk a little bit about the country because I think a lot of the, in fact, the remarks that that basketball player made about the country have to do with the Supreme Court opinions. And I guess in, before we get to specific opinions, Bill, I think overall. You know, I sent you a note saying that the Supreme Court, uh, there were a lot of problems in the country, but the Supreme Court was running exactly correct. 
And I think the Supreme Court this week, in the last couple of weeks really, demonstrated what the court should be. The, the court should be uh, saying, this is constitutional, this is not constitutional. Now you guys can fight it out in the political arena, but we're, we're, we're not here to be politicians. And when I read, for example, the dissent of a couple of, of the members of the Supreme Court, like against the affirmative action and against that lady who didn't want to do the web design or whatever, I read these dissents and I say to myself, these people should run for office, Bill. Because yes, they're, right. that, what they're, they're sounding like politicians. They're not sounding like judges, Bill. Well, that's it. They, they, they are, believe that they are put on the court to make sure the politics are right. Uh, uh, I think that uh, among the, the people who really disgraced themselves were President uh, Obama's, uh, not Obama's, but Biden's uh, appointment, Judge Brown, who, I mean, you know, everything is race, 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 race. The Supreme Court decision on affirmative action was long overdue. It is just unconstitutional to discriminate on the basis of race. At the same time, the court said, and you can be sure the colleges will use this, that you can certainly ask an applicant if race had an impact on that applicant's life. I mean, I, we will be naive to believe that because the court has banned the use of race, that race will not actually be used. It will be used in other ways to uh, guarantee what they call diversity. I'm always amused by that word. You know, Nobody ever wants to define it. What does diverse, diversity actually mean? Well, they say, well, a, a mixture of people in the, in the entering class of the college where so people can benefit from each other's cultures. That's nonsense. Diversity means it's a code word. It means groups popular on the political left, and that's all it ever has meant. And yes, I, I'm all for helping them. I'm all for, for seeing people be, being given a chance. But the problem with the system of affirmative action is that for every person who is helped, another person is hurt. That's the problem with it. There's no doubt that Asian Americans have been hurt by affirmative action because they're the ones who are kept out so that a person of a different group uh, who may not be anywhere near as qualified as that Asian American student will get in. And one, one of the most interesting things about the decision is that it has now pitted the black community against the Asian community. And I'm sorry to see that. I think anybody would be. But I think it's a reality. When Asian American kids said they had to score 275 points higher on the college boards just to be considered, they were right. I mean, it was perfectly evident they were being discriminated against. And affirmative action by its nature is discriminatory. And the court uh, ruled that that is unconstitutional. And now let's see what happens. Right. I thought it was interesting because this lawsuit actually originated with Asian American parents, I think, or students against yes. Harvard. I think yes. that's where it all comes from. And yes. I find it interesting because I was talking to somebody about this, and, and we were talking about equality and opportunity. And, and I said, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I supported uh, – a, a temporary form of affirmative action because I felt the door had to be open to more people, uh, that there had been, yeah, discrimination before, and you wanted to make sure that everybody had a shot. But right now, it seems to me the door is wide open, I mean, completely open for anybody. But there, there seem to be some groups in the country who are taking advantage of the opportunities and others are not, that there yes. are groups like the Asian Americans and uh, – 
I'm not sure if the right word is Indian Americans, but people from India, that is. Those yes. groups who came here uh, as immigrants, who now their children are dominating education, who certainly have no, you cannot accuse them of white privilege. These people are taking advantage, these families are taking advantage of the opportunities and their kids are succeeding everywhere, everywhere they they go. And then unfortunately, you have in the black community and in the Hispanic community certain groups who are not taking advantage of the, the opportunities and therefore they're not going through the door, not because they're being kept out, but because they're not taking advantage of the opportunity bill. And that's you know, that's the conversation we should be having in the country. Why are, for example, schools in, 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 in the inner city so bad? Why are, why are those schools graduating people who cannot read and write? And yet the homeschooling and some of these other schools are graduating people who are not only reading and writing, but excelling the marks. So it seems to me that's the conversation we should be having, Bill. Yeah, I fully agree. And we should also be examining the, the influence of culture on the quality of schools. There's an old saying that good schools are built by good families. And I think it's true. Uh, when kids come to school with a positive attitude about education, uh, taught by parents, when they come to school understanding that how valuable it is to learn about their new country, the United States, where the results are good. When parents attend PTA meetings, we know as a fact that the students do better. The parental involvement is one of the surest signs that a school will do its job well. Uh, the, the parent is part of the educational system. When those things uh, happen, wonderful things can happen. But when parents are kept out of the schools by the teachers' unions uh, and uh, kids come to school with no particular interest in learning, no matter what the teacher does, it usually will not work. That's right. Now, we're going to take a little break, but I, I think what you're saying, if I could translate it, is that if your mother is telling you at 8 o'clock to turn off the TV and do your homework, you have a better chance of uh, getting higher marks than the other kids who unfortunately don't have that. I think that's, uh, what, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Let me take a little break and we'll be right back to This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, t- Texas, chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda, as we always like to do on Mondays. Bill, let me let me come back to that point that I made right before the break. What I meant to say was that a uh, a young a kid growing up in a home where the mother or the father is telling them at eight o'clock to turn off the TV and do their homework, that that kid has a better chance of succeeding succeeding than another one who unfortunately does not have that kind of parental support bill. And that's absolutely correct. And you, 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 you mentioned not only the mother's advice to the child, but the, that it is certainly helpful, as we all know, for there to be a father in the home. 
Now, I know that's a sensitive subject in, in some circles, and there are young people who grew up perfectly well with a, in a one-parent household, but it certainly helps if it's a two-parent household. The traditional household produces mighty results, and people must recognize that if there is a problem with their school, if there's a problem with education in their area, they can influence that. They can influence that first by keeping families together, by insisting on high standards for their children and for the children's parents. Uh, you know, I heard a story some years ago about a, um, a guidance counselor uh, in California who was asked by a reporter, can you tell in advance which parents will come to the PTA meetings? And he said, yes, all I have to do is look at the grading books. It's the parents of the A and B students. And he paused for a moment and then said, that's why they're A and B students. In other words, because the parents are involved. We know how to educate children. We know how to turn out first-class results. Uh, and when those lessons are learned, we can do it. If they're not learned, we'll never do it. Right. And I think that one of the most amazing things to me, and, and maybe you've had this experience too, is you go to a high school graduation, uh, either your your own child or or somebody else's uh, kid, you go to the graduation, and, and I would say almost all the time, the number one and number two goes to either an Asian American or Indian American. Again, I, I may be using that word incorrectly, Indian American, but you know what I mean, somebody from, <laughs> from India. And you see them in the corner, and you see the mother and the father, the uncle, the grandfather, the grandmother, the whole like the whole family is in the corner and it's like a cheering squad. Yes. It's like you're watching the, you know, it's like you're watching game seven of the world series when they get the final out of the inning or something. And right. the, the excitement that these kids bring to the, I mean, that these families bring, I mean, it's like they're, they're not just encouraging the kids, but the day they graduate, they, they become their biggest cheerleaders. And that's got to have an impact on the kid, it has an impact on people like me who are watching it, Bill. It's pride. It's, it, by the way, what you're hearing in the background is my Midland emergency radio going off again. And they have now raised the, the threat level to a warning, which means we are likely to have severe weather in the next few hours. We will see. All right. But you're absolutely right. And it's very Bill, I think much... the next time I go to New York, I'm going to bring you a box of batteries so that you never <laughs> run out. Well, uh, you're absolutely correct. Well, the, the, this one, this model radio operates on AC, but it has a battery backup in case the power goes out. So uh, we always we always use batteries here. But you're absolutely right. The, the family becomes the cheering section, no different than an athletic event. If the kid in the family hits a home run, they all cheer, and that kid is inspired to go further. You know, and and to uh, you know, you know what what we ought to be teaching in this country, and it's very uh, similar to what you've just talked about, is the what might be called the attitude of the heart of a champion. What is a champion? What makes a champion? What makes somebody excellent? Those are lessons worth. There's a wonderful story about Joe DiMaggio, uh, who uh, I know you know a great deal about because we talk about baseball, and in his last season. Uh, uh, where I did, in fact, see him play in, at center field in Yankee Stadium. Uh, one of his friends asked him, Joe, it's your last season. Why are you playing so hard? And he said, 
because there may be a kid up in the stands who's never seen me play before. That's the heart of a champion. That's the right. guy who goes all out, who gives 110%. And the fact is, kids love those lessons. They love to be mm-hmm. inspired. They love stories about people doing great things. But we don't tell them anymore. Right. People, people seem to prefer to present themselves as victims rather than as winners. That's terrible. That's right. If you present yourself... If you present yourself as a victim, you're going to be a victim all your life. If you present yourself as a winner, you've got at least a shot at success. And right. I, I no, think that... The, and you, you see it everywhere, Bill. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. No, I was going to say, I mean, you, you see this in... Uh, uh, I mean, for example, I, um, I, you know, I, I see it here locally. Uh, I was talking to a... Uh, to a lady who teaches in one of the inner city schools and she's very frustrated, very frustrated by what's going on. You know, people say, why are teachers leaving the public school system? It's not because of money bill. I can assure you of that because I know lots of teachers and they make pretty decent money. I mean, they're not millionaires, but they do. Okay. They do it. I mean, they have great benefits too on top of it. But this lady said to me that she has a hard time when there's a kid in the class who's got problems and she was talking specifically about Hispanic kids, that she has a hard time because the parents of this kid, and and I think it's true of others, don't seem to have the same appreciation for education that these Indian and and, uh, Asian-American parents have. I know when we were growing up in the United States, Bill, we were growing up, and, you know, my mother would always say to us, uh, you got to get an education. And you you got to get an education because that's the only way you're going to You can win the lottery. You can be a major league pitcher. But I'm, I don't want you to bet your life on that. you got to get an education. So we always had, from a young age, uh, a mother and a father who were telling us about education, who praised education. And that, I think, contributed to some degree to our success. But the, many of these kids don't have that, Bill. And that's what frustrates uh, and it frustrates me because we should be telling, whether you're black or whether you're Hispanic, we should be telling you, hey, you can do it. You can do yes. it. You don't need the the permission of the Democrat Party to be successful, Bill. Well, that's absolutely, and that's a very important point. The the left wing is trying to convince these kids that they have no chance in America because of what they call endemic racism. But if you vote for us, we will help you. That is nothing more than the attitude of old big city political machines. They, they, that's, that's what they told their, their people. You are victims in this society. They're going to try to keep you down. But if you vote for us, we will bring you benefits. And these were machines where every Thanksgiving they would give their constituents a Thanksgiving Day turkey. A turkey. And they were, these immigrants were so grateful that they too could have a Thanksgiving that they kind of forgot to ask about the rest. You know, what are you doing the rest of the year? But, right. but they kept on voting these people into office, and these people were producing nothing. But, you know, there's the old saying, and it's a wonderful saying, mm-hmm. if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man a fish, you, you feed him for a lifetime. We have to start feeding people for a lifetime. And back in 1962, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, when he was uh, a professor at Harvard, wrote an article warning that something terrible was happening to the black family, which was the mainstay of, 
black America along with the, the churches. And for his efforts and for his concern about it, he was called a racist. Well, who called him the racist? The establishment people who didn't care if there was a problem with the black family. Those problems kept them in business. And I'm sorry to say this, but that is simply reality. No, you're right. I mean, there, there is a grievance business. Oh, and, absolutely. And they, they, they want you to be angry. They want you to be angry at somebody for, for your failures rather than maybe change your behavior uh, to succeed. But I just thought the reaction to the affirmative action decision, I, I supported the decision, but I thought the reaction from some corners was pretty <laughs> silly. But then I'm happy to see that at least in some of the instant polling that uh, the, the American people support it. And I, I certainly support it. I think it's the, it's the correct thing to do. There were two other decisions, Bill, or opinions that they wrote. One has to do with this lady, I guess, who's a web designer. I do not understand why, and, and maybe this is my, my ignorance here, but I do not understand why people sue somebody because they don't want to do a certain business. In other words, if I went to a web designer and I said, I'd like you to build my, my web site, and they go, we don't like to work with Cubans, I would say, hmm. okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your honesty. I tell you what, I'm going to tell every Cuban I know not to go to you, but good luck <laughs> with your right. business. Okay? But I wouldn't yeah. sue them. I mean, I wouldn't waste my time and the legal time. I simply just move on. And you have to wonder about some of these people who keep suing over this or over the bakery. I mean, why do they do it, Bill? That's what I don't get. Well, it's a very – that you know, it's a terrific question that you just asked because it's one that I think a lot of people ask saying about a particular issue. Wait a minute. Why is somebody going to court to get a court decision over affirmative action when that's something that should be decided by my representatives – by the people's representatives. There is a class of people who make their progress through court decisions, and it's a very dangerous thing in a democratic society because the court decision allows no room for public discussion. People will talk about Roe v. Wade, and we, we lost this right, and we lost that right under Roe v. Wade being uh, abolished. But the reality is that many thoughtful people, including people who are pro-choice, would have much preferred that, that the issue of abortion be settled in the states as it is now. It is being settled in the states today. But back in 1973, when Roe was handed down, it ended public discussion. I mean, the, the public discussion meant nothing. They had declared it a right, and that was it. You're much better off in a democracy if you go through the democratic process and try to convince people to go along with you. Because then your, your policy has some moral basis. There is no moral ingredient in a court decision. It is theoretically, right. if it's done correctly, based on an interpretation of the law. And the American people were shut out of it completely. That's right, especially Roe v. Wade. I mean, for 50 yeah, oh, years, yeah. you, couldn't, you couldn't even talk about it uh, because we, you were told it's the law of the land, and you couldn't even bring it up. But the other, the other big one, of course, was... Uh, the student debt, and again, they're demagoguing that one too, but I never understood why anybody should have their student debt canceled. I mean, you decided to go. You, you signed the paper. I can understand you may need some help with it. I get that. But why, why should I pay for it? My three sons took care of that on their own responsibly, so why should they pay for yours? So that, 
you know, from day one, I felt was a loser of, of an issue for, for the Democrats or for President Biden. But maybe, I don't know, I'm going to put this on the table, Bill. Maybe maybe they knew that this was going to happen, but they did it anyway to mobilize some of the universities to, to get into the last election, Bill. Well, yes, absolutely, of course. And, you know, look, are there kids who were burdened by student debts? Yes. And maybe they didn't realize at the time that they took them out how serious this would be. Or maybe they thought, well, I'll make enough money to overcome them. But the idea that the president of the United States, by waving a magic wand, can relieve student debts is ridiculous. The president doesn't have access to that kind of money in the Treasury. That is what Congress does. And that's what the court said, that, that there was no provision for it. There are many ways around that. If the president feels that student debt is a burden, there have been programs in the United States that have been set up that uh, if, you, if you, for example, as a college graduate, spent a year teaching in a depressed area, a certain amount of your debt would be relieved. Uh, if you did other things, a certain amount would be relieved. I believe there are provisions in military recruitment. You can say, well, it's unfair that somebody would have to do something. But, you know, life is unfair. If you've got a big student debt and the government provides you with ways out of that debt, you might want to consider some of them. But what you cannot have is the president just waving that magic wand and saying, poof, your student debt right. is gone. I think the court decided wisely and correctly. Uh, and let's see what they do now, though, to help people with that debt by pay, perhaps paying part of it back through public service. Well, what about some of these universities, Bill, who have huge pockets of contributions from their former their alumni what are they yes. called endowments i think they're called and uh, why don't they say you know what we're going to help you with that here we, we yes. will write this off at the expense uh we will write it off uh, you know yes why don't they well, do that's that it. that's it the harvard has an endowment of something like 40 billion with a b dollars and my question is why are we giving harvard federal aid uh, let them use some of their own money and let them use some of their own money to provide additional help to students who are in need so they don't have to take out some of these huge loans. Let the student earn that through high grades, uh, through perhaps, you know, colleges have, have provided for jobs for students uh, historically uh, to help pay for their expenses. And let the colleges also look for ways to lower their costs when you read that there are more administrators at Harvard than there are professors, you wonder how the place is being run. Because right. who ultimately pays for that? Who pays for that? Students pay for it. Through That's taking right. out debt. Maybe they that, can do with, with, with a few, with some fewer of these uh, uh, equity administrators. <laughs> yeah, they could do uh, with a lot less of those. I, I think that they would also point out to the students, Bill, that maybe the, the degrees that they signed up for were kind of meaningless to begin with. I mean, look, I, I respect anybody who goes to university, the university and gets a degree. I don't want to be mocking people in a mean way. But if you get a degree in gender studies, uh, I'm not sure that there's a big market for that in the capitalist system. I, I don't know. I don't know too no. many universities who are looking for someone who's, or too many businesses who are looking for a brand-new graduate with a specialty in gender studies. I mean, they want somebody who can 
making maybe sell their product, collect money, make their product better, but uh, gender, you know, is not one of them. And again, I, I'm not mocking uh, someone who who took the time to study. I'm just being realistic, Bill. You're absolutely correct. I mean, if I were a corporation, I wouldn't um, uh, uh, be too excited about hiring somebody who who uh, st- uh, majored in critical race theory. I mean, <laughs> you know, I wonder. Right. I wonder what I had. But what what corporations usually are are practical. Uh, they want a student who can uh, who who can read well, who can write well, especially good writing, a student who's aggressive, who cares about the product uh, and cares about the company, and a student who has good work habits. But I really agree with you that some of these majors are really ridiculous. Uh, uh, They they are really designed more to advance an ideology than to advance the student. That's right. No, you're right. And and to keep a lot of professors happy writing books or, or whatever, uh, about the topic. Bill, we're running out of time, and I did want to touch on two topics, uh, important topics today, and that is what's happening in France. But before we get to France, um, there's. I wonder what the Biden administration is going to do with Iran. You wrote a, an interesting post about that. Um, are we going to go back to this Iran treaty that we had, or what exactly? I mean, what has to happen for this administration to get serious about Iran, Bill? I don't think it's possible. I think that they are under the thumb of the Obama crowd, uh, and I think that they're looking for some agreement with Iran simply to justify their policies, which have failed. Iran is going ahead with the development of uh, nuclear uh, uh, energy. They are building ICBMs and uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, and the only reason for the existence of an ICBM is to carry nuclear weapons. They're not designed to carry conventional weapons. Now, this week, something happened that I I think we should bring up uh, because it is a very big story, which you may be sure will be suppressed by certain elements of the press. And that is that the head of our negotiating team on Iran issues, a man by the name of Robert Malley, had his security clearance suspended. That is a profound step in the United States government. It's like the United States government telling you you have done something terrible, and we no longer trust you. Because he had a security clearance uh, suspended, he cannot work in that capacity any longer. And then, to boot, they took away his salary. He was suspended at first with pay. Now he's suspended without pay. I want to know more about this. This man is the one who negotiated the Iran nuclear deal for the United States, which was a terrible deal for us, great for Iran. And now we find... Uh, that was during the Obama administration. Now we find during the Biden administration that they have lifted his security clearance. I want to know what this man did or is alleged to have done, because I know from my own experience in the intelligence services, when that's done to you, they are making a very serious accusation. And I want to know if this country has been hurt by this man. Yeah. Well, maybe they caught him with some documents he wasn't supposed to have, Bill. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's, it doesn't just sound familiar. It doesn't sound right. familiar. But, right. but Donald Trump was indicted, and this right. guy just got his job suspended. But I think, you know, I wrote an urgent agenda. This is a big story. There will be attempts yes. to uh, suppress it, but it is not a story that should be suppressed. I want to know if we've been hurt. That's right. No, I, I think it's a great point. That's why I 
I wanted to bring this up. And then, of course, our last topic is France. And uh, honestly, I don't know what to say about France anymore. I mean, I remember Donald Trump one time saying that France is no longer France. And this is when he was a candidate seven years ago. And I've had friends of mine who go to France and come back and they say, man, that sure is a lot different than than the France I used to know. And, And so you wonder, you wonder what's happening in France. But I think one thing that is certainly happening is that when you don't fight back these protesters they think they're winning bill i mean where's the president of france where's the army i mean you would think that they would be out in the streets cracking some heads these people are doing some real damage bill oh the question and i I think they've allowed these protests to go much too far there have been a number of policemen injured uh and you you know what, what what you have here they, they say, well, it's a protest among migrants about the way they're treated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are two kinds of migrants. There are migrants or immigrants, if you will, who come to a country because they want to become French. They want to be citizens of France. They are proud of France. Uh, they serve in the military. Then there are kind of uh, immigrants who come to a country not to become citizens of that country, but to take it over to make it the kind of country they want and that will speak their language and will practice their religion. And I'm afraid that is the problem in in France today. Uh, You know, it's the height of the tourist season, but I don't think too many people are encouraged to go to Paris with revolution brewing all around them. It's not exactly a welcoming scene. No, no. The idea that you're going to go to France to enjoy uh, some sightseeing has to be, a lot of people must be thinking twice about that, but I look at some of the images on television, and it's happening. It looks like it is just Paris. It's happening in other parts of the country as well. Yes. And then you look at the people who are causing the harm, and I go back to the point you just made. I mean, these are obviously not people who are happy to be in France, Bill. That's absolutely correct. I mean, they, they regard France as a, an oppressive country that allowed them to come in, but now they want to tell France, we don't want your way of life. We want our way of life, and we will get it through violence if necessary. The same problem is emerging, by the way, in Germany. Now, Germany, of course, has a very sensitive history, uh, and about, especially about the treatment of people who are different. I don't know how that will work out. And, of course, we have seen some of that here in this country in riding in our large cities. So I would say the West generally has to start defending itself. Right. And, I mean, when you see these, I mean, it seems to me that if you're an immigrant in a country and you go to a country like France, a, a country that, ha, that is really very generous in their welfare state, that you would, you would show some gratitude by saying, no, I'm not going to burn the, the city uh, because they, you know, some police officers, I guess they killed a... A young man. I'm not defending the shooting of that young man, but you know you don't burn the country over that bill. No, of course not. You don't burn the country really over anything. Uh, they should try to become good French citizens, but I'm afraid that France, like too many other countries in the West, has been very naive about immigration. Immigration has to be handled very carefully to make sure that the people who are coming really want to be here and want to be a part of the nation. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, and and you have to wonder. I mean, I speak here as someone who came to the U.S. 
you know, as an immigrant who came here with my parents uh, to look for a better life, um, the last thing in the world that my parents would have done is to go out and burn the country because they were angry with, uh, I don't know, whatever. I mean, they would have said, no, we don't do it that way in America. And, you know, we, we work within the system and we respect the country that gave us an opportunity. You know, my parents always spoke about the United States in, term of, in terms of like they adopted us, like adopted parents yes. who adopted you. So they always spoke that way about the United States, and that's the way they taught us to, to speak about the United States. And that's the way I've always seen the United States. I mean, I'm a citizen now and, and all of that, but I've always seen the country, the United States, as the country that adopted us and gave us a chance that I would have never had in Cuba. And so I would, I mean, I would never would I, you know, do something like this or even say anything as nasty as some of these people are saying, Bill. Well, absolutely. I mean, we we call ourselves with some pride the land of immigrants. We don't we don't reject immigration as as a policy. Uh, we, what we do reject is illegal immigration uh, and people coming here simply to exploit us. But the fact is the great majority of people who have come to the United States want to be Americans. They want to learn English. Uh, they want to uh, contribute to the country uh, and, and have a decent life here. And I think that uh, with wise immigration policies, the West will succeed. With irresponsible immigration policies, uh, there is going to be a lot of trouble ahead. Right. And you start seeing all these immigrants who are young males coming in. You have to begin to wonder, you know, why aren't they coming in as families? I'm a lot more of a fan of family immigration. We have mother, father, and kids coming to the country. To me, that's a lot better because oh, if you come in with your you come in with your family. You've got a different set of values that when you know you're 22 years old, you come in as a single man. It's a totally different uh, person who's coming into the country and their values and everything else. Well, Bill, we've gone through another hour. Incredible. Yep. I guess we didn't have anything to talk about. Nothing to talk about at all. Nothing to talk about. Uh, I think, though, that next Monday we will have a lot to talk about. Well, you're going to tell me about your, uh, your storm next Monday? Oh, yeah. Oh, I am sitting here waiting. I think I'm going to put on my raincoat as, as we get off and just sit here in the room and wait for the storm to break through the window. Well, make sure you've got your canoe ready just in case. I have that, yes. You have that. All right. Well, you have a great day, Bill. Happy July the 4th, and we'll talk the next time. Same to you, Silvio. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much. Our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Another week, another set of topics with Bill. It's always a lot of fun, always very informative. You have a great July 4th, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you later. I think we're going to be doing a reading of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th on the podcast. Uh, check it out. I think you're going to enjoy that. Talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.